uh, longing for God to do something. You gave us all these promises. We're waiting. So we connect with that idea. Uh, we connect with the longing for the Messiah. So earlier we sang the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I think that song puts this idea of association in, in, in great words. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. So doesn't that capture it well? The Israelites were exiled, mourning, um, destroyed, uh, hurting, and they were wondering, when will it happen? When will we be saved? So secondly, Advent and hope is uh, we celebrate hope. So we know that Christ has come in one sense, right? The first Advent, and we celebrate that. We celebrate the coming of the one the prophets talked about. Unto us a child is born, right? Unto us a son has been given. And so we hope in Christ, the Messiah, that baby born, we marvel at that, how he came to save us from our sins. And then thirdly, during Advent, we, uh, we, we then anticipate hope as well. There is a second Advent coming, a second coming coming where, where Christ will return. And so we wait in expectation. We wait in this hope that he will come and conquer all his enemies and bring that full peace on earth that we're waiting for. So this morning, as we look at uh, the passage, I have uh, three points about hope based on our passage, the Advent text. We hope in a promise, we hope in a person, and we hope in a plan. So if, we, if you were here last week, Thomas had three Ps, you're getting three Ps again this week. So as we go through the sermon, I want you to think about your life too. Um, how are these truths about hope going to affect you? You know, just as the Israelites hoped in, in a person and a promise and a plan, so also we hope in Christ. So my, my question is, um, what do you hope in? As we think through this passage, what do we really hope in? So I mean like practically, day-to-day -day life, what do we hope in? Do I hope in myself? Do I hope in my own ability to succeed, to figure things out? Do I hope in my money or my stuff um, or just my abilities? Is there any area in my life right now where I just feel hopeless? What might God have to say to me this morning? So we'll see that this passage is filled with hope, not just for those ancient Israelites, but for, also, uh, for us today. So first, we hope in a promise. That's the first verse, Jeremiah 33, 14. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. So this prophecy was given by God through the prophet Jeremiah right before they were about to go into exile, which happened in 586 B.C. So Jeremiah's mission overall was to uproot and to plant. 
So that means he was to deliver messages of judgment, um, but also messages of hope. And if you think about the Israelites, by and large, they had uh, failed to obey the Lord, and so they were spiraling down. And the reason was because they were um, into idolatry. They were worshiping the gods of the nations around them. And this was like rule number one for the Lord. Don't do that. Don't go into idolatry. So this was a major sin of the people, and it was just a recipe for disaster. And so the majority of Jeremiah's prophecies were warning and judgment. In fact, Jeremiah spoke the words that we read today. Actually, he spoke them from prison. (laughs) And he was put in prison by the king of Judah. And so um, it was right before the exile, right before the fall of Babylon. And Jeremiah actually had prophesied that Israel would fall. So the, the city was under siege, and he prophesied that the city would fall, and actually the king would be taken to Babylon, would be taken away. So the king you know, did not like this at all, so he put him in prison. And so Jeremiah made these very specific predictions about what was going to happen. But during this time also, um, a time of warning, of judgment, he also had words of hope, prophecies of hope. And that's today's passage, a prophecy, a prediction of hope, good news of God's faithfulness, news of a coming Messiah. In fact, if you go through the book of Jeremiah, it's full of these prophecies about the Messiah. Here's a quick list of these images about the Messiah and Jeremiah. He's the fountain of living waters. He's the good shepherd, the redeemer, the Lord our righteousness. He's the king in the line of David. He's the agent of the new covenant. He's the righteous branch, full of hopeful images of the Messiah. And the last one, the righteous branch, which we read about earlier and talked about with the Advent candle, that's our metaphor for today. So this entire passage here is a declaration that there's good news in the future, future hope. So if you look at it again, verse 14 starts off, Behold, the days are coming. And verse 15 says, In those days and at that time. Verse 16 says, In those days... So phrases like these in Jeremiah often point towards um, that future time of the Messiah, the time of the Savior. So this passage is explaining the fulfillment of God's promise. This is going to be ushered in through this, this Messiah to come. And then notice the main actor in the passage. If you look at it, it's God. God is the main actor. God says, I will fulfill, verse 14. Verse 15, I will cause this to happen. So God will do it. When he speaks, woohoo, that's right. When he speaks, he acts. When he promises, he fulfills. So the Israelites were putting this hope in the Lord, a promise-keeping God who's going to fulfill his promises on their behalf. He's going to act on their behalf. 
So if you think about the situation of the Israelites, it would be so easy to lose hope. And we also can struggle with hope from time to time. You know, uh, what do we do with this sense of hopelessness when we feel like we're losing hope? The Israelites were desperate. Um, Many of them were killed and conquered by this invading army. They were sent away into a distant land, exiled and scattered. A tough situation. So what do we do when we're in a tough situation? Do we lose hope? Um, I think about North Campus right now, the situation that we're in. We have some unknowns, right? The elders are making a hard decision right now, a tough decision. But I think that no matter what, you know, is decided, God is going to work, right? Because we have his promises. He promises to be with us no matter what. He promises to build the church. If you think about what Jesus said, he promises, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And so we have this great promise of hope to consider when we think about the future of our church, we think about our lives. And in in our own lives, when we feel hopeless, we have these difficult times, as the Israelites had, we have these promises from God to hope in, to put our anchor down. They fill us with hope. Why? It's because we have a promise-keeping God. In fact, the rest of uh, Jeremiah, this rest of this passage, we have Jeremiah 33, and this whole passage is a passage of, of hope. In fact, after our text, after our passage, there's this great um, idea here, if you read through, God's promises are sure and steadfast. So the rest of the passage talks about God has made a covenant with creation, a, a, a covenant with the day and the night. That means, you know, every time the sun comes up and goes down, it's a new day. And this is a promise from God. So just as the day and night is guaranteed, you know, the promise of the Messiah is also guaranteed. God is going to fulfill every one of his promises. So if you think of the sun, when the sun comes up in the morning, it, shows, it, it lets us know of this promise-keeping God that can fulfill his promises no matter what. He's a sovereign, promise-keeping God. And so there's a second theme I want to talk about in this passage this morning. And the second theme is we hope in a person. So we hope in a promise, but we also hope in a person. The promise is a person, really. It says, in those days and at that time, God says, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. So remember in verse 14, I will fulfill this promise to Israel. So what exactly is the promise? And this verse, we get the promise, we get a clue. It has something to do with King David and his ancestors, his descendants. Um, So the context helps us if we read on. Verse 17 says, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne. And then verse 22 says, As the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant. So this 
promise Jeremiah is talking about is called the Davidic Covenant. God promised David in 2 Samuel 7, your throne will be established forever. So, and this promise is repeated throughout the Old Testament to point to God's faithfulness that he's going to do something. The people turn from God time and time again. But the promise was David's lamp, or his descendants, would remain, would not be destroyed. So later passages tell us of this covenant, that through David there will be one of his offspring that will bring salvation. Uh, Isaiah 9 says, remember, unto us a child is born, son is given, and he will reign on the throne of David. There it is, the Davidic covenant. He will reign over his kingdom forever. Psalm 132.11, I have that there on your sheet. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on the throne. So this is exactly the same person of our passage today. The righteous branch that shoots up is none other than a descendant of David, the Messiah. So the promise of hope is in a person. And then when we read on into the New Testament, we find that this, this person is Jesus. A powerful, well-known Advent passage, Luke 1, 31 through 33, shows it really clearly. Remember the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, here it is, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. So, this little baby born and, and, and carried by Mary in her womb will be this ancestor that will sit on the throne of David and reign over a never-ending kingdom. So imagine hearing that about the little baby in your womb. I mean, just amazing. And our passage calls um, this person the righteous branch that will spring up. Uh, so I live in Marion, Iowa, and um, not this past summer, but the summer before, we had uh, the derecho storm. Um, and uh, that morning, the storm uh, was coming, and I heard the sirens, and I'm thinking, all right, you know, I'll go downstairs. I had just warmed up my food, and I'll go down, you know, I'll be careful, you know, and, you know, it'll be a bad, it'll be a bad storm. Maybe we'll lose power, but after a while, you know, it'll be okay. <laughs> but I was definitely wrong about that. <laughs> As I went downstairs and the storm started, I realized that this was not a normal storm. <laughs> I heard all these crashes, crash, crash, crash. It was almost about 30 minutes of crashes. And this was trees falling down. So when I went outside to look at what, what went on, there were power lines down, debris was everywhere, and all the trees were down. Um, it seemed like trees were everywhere. And in the neighborhoods, even those big, huge trees had just snapped down um, and just a powerful wind. 
So it took a long time for, I mean, everybody had to figure out how am I going to cut these trees up and get them out to the curb so they can be picked up. And then most of the people who had the big trees had a lot of the work. Um, and a lot of them cut them down to the stumps. And then they had a stump grinding business, which I've never heard of before, but a stump grinding business <laughs> came in to grind the stumps into mulch and then maybe make some mulch or maybe have some grass there. Um, but some people left those stumps um, and turned them into little signs or chairs or something like that. So we have one neighbor that turned their stump into a bird feeder. So they put this large pan on the stump, put bird, feeder, bird feed in, and all the birds of the neighborhood then were happy. They didn't have any trees to nest in, so they, but they at least had some food. Um, so the summer later, you know, I'd, I would often walk by, um, and I noticed something else about this stump. It had all these shoots that shot up. Have you ever seen this? These shoots shoot up, and you're like, I thought this tree was just totally cut down. But the fact is that there was still some life in the roots. So this image here is exactly what we're talking about. It's a branch of David shooting up, branching up, from the stump, from the roots that are still, that still have life. So this branch of David is talked about in other places in the Old Testament. This person will be beautiful and glorious, a source of pride and honor for God's people, Isaiah 4, a servant, Zechariah 3, a king who will reign and deal wisely, Jeremiah 23, and this branch is a shoot from the stump of the roots of Jesse, David's father, branching out to bless the nations and glorious reign, gloriously reign in the spirit of the Lord. That's Isaiah 11. So these images here reveal that this descendant will be this glorious king. The Messiah will come from the line of David. And so we know that because of the exile, uh, the, there's no longer a king on a throne, but the royal line, the royal offspring, continued. So from that line of David, there will come eventually a true king, and that king is going to fulfill all of these promises. So if you picture big, bad, evil, you know, Babylon coming with this huge axe, and he come, Babylon comes and cuts the tree of Israel down. So there's no longer a king on a throne. But there's still that life, right, in the roots, the root of Jesse. There's going to be a branch of David that will shoot up from the root and become king forever. So that's why I call my message the branch of hope. Because there's still hope. There's life in the roots. There's a savior king that's going to come in the line of David and is going to make all things right. So if we think about our lives right now and the idea of hope this Christmas season, you know, we all have these earthly hopes, right? Dreams, wishes, these prayers that we're praying, that we want um, God to do something. You know, think about your own situation. What are you hoping for? What are you praying for these days? What are you expecting God to do in some ways in faith? So most of us have something that we're waiting for, something we're hoping in, in that sense. Um, we know that this probably isn't a guarantee, 
but we really want God to, you know, answer our prayers, our prayers of hope and our prayers of faith. And so for me, one area is this pain, physical pain. Um, I have chronic back pain, and I've had it for nearly 20 years. And you might not know it when you're around me, but I am in a lot of pain almost constantly. I try to um, um, have joy and hope in the midst of the pain, but I've struggled with it for many years. And so this is one area where I have interacted with this idea of hope. I've tried a lot of things, you know, to find some relief from my pain. But time and time again, you know, I have hope in something and then it doesn't help. I've found some relief, but by and large, I still have so much pain. And even this week, I had a ton of pain. And so I had to type for a while, work on the sermon, then lay down. Type for a while, work on the sermon, and lay down. I'm like, am I going to get this done? (laughs) So... Um, but I think that one thing that has helped me is just these promises of God. He'll be with me no matter what. I have this promise that he's going to be with me in the pain. And so my promise is, is not necessarily a pain-free life, but my promise is in a person, you know, the person that we're talking about. My hope is in him. No matter what happens, more pain or less pain, I still have this promise and this, and this hope in the person of Christ. So for me, in the pain, this can bring some hopelessness. But, you know, in my, in my trouble, in my despair, I can still pray for healing and for wisdom with faith, but I always know that God is with me no matter what. So I need to remember that my ultimate hope is in Christ. And so this season, you know, whatever we're hoping for this Christmas season, let's just think about it and keep praying for hope hope in this person, hope in this amazing plan that God has for the world, for history. And our hope in him is secure because we have this promise-keeping God. He will be with us no matter what happens. Um, He's going to return no matter what happens. So we have this hope in this promise and this person. And then thirdly, we have hope in this plan. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land, verse 15. And then verse 16, in those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called the Lord our righteousness. So here's the plan in a nutshell right here. The righteous branch is going to come and he is going to execute justice. He is, is, is going to come and provide this salvation, and he's going to come and he's going to grant righteousness. So my question about all of this as I look at this passage is, okay, how has this plan been fulfilled? Has it been fulfilled, or are there ways in which it will still be fulfilled? So we sit here, you know, right now, today, 2021, Advent season, thinking about hope, We know that Jesus has come um, 2,000 years ago. We also know that he promises to come again. So we live in this time in between, right, both Advents. Um, I think Devin said earlier we look back to the first Advent, but we also look forward to the second Advent. So we're in this already but not yet 
type of times. Jesus has already come in one sense to inaugurate his kingdom through the cross and resurrection, but he's going to come again. So not yet, because he's going to come again to fully reign as king. So in each of this elements, these elements of God's plan, we need to talk about how he has come, how he still needs to come again. So in one sense, Jesus has accomplished these things. He's accomplished heavenly justice, righteousness, salvation. And he's done this through conquering sin on the cro- in the cross. Um, but in another sense, he still has something to accomplish. This earthly justice, earthly um, salvation, earthly righteousness in coming to conquer all of his enemies. So first, we hope in God's plan here as Jesus is going to execute justice. Our text says, He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So we know that God is the perfect judge, completely just, and he executes perfect justice because he's a perfect judge. He's also a forgiving God, we read. He gives freedom to the, uh, the guilty. So we have to ask the question, how is this true justice? There must be a penalty for a guilty verdict, right, to have true justice. So no judge would just let a murderer go free. I think it's true justice because Jesus steps in and takes the punishment that we deserve. So God executes this divine justice by means of the cross. That's the first advent. And then there's also another execution of justice to come. Jeremiah's day, there were so many injustices. If you read through Jeremiah, he's pointing these injustices out, both among the people and the leaders and among the nations surrounding them. There was great injustice. And today, we see so much injustice around us as well. We see injustices socially, economically, politically, injustices spiritually, and it's overwhelming. And we can wonder, like, where is God, you know, in all this injustice? But we know that there is going to be a second advent, a second coming, where Jesus will come again, and perfectly execute justice and righteousness on earth in the land. So Jesus will return to earth in power and conquer all earthly and spiritual enemies. So he's going to set up this kingdom that has perfect justice, reign in righteousness. So we have this, uh, this text in Isaiah 9-7. We read it a lot during Christmas. And so you'll recognize it, but it, it, it really is a powerful text, one um, that I just felt like I need to read. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is the Messiah. The second advent of justice. He's going to reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom, and he's going to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. There's our justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So we also hope in God's plan as, a, uh, as he's going to 
Jesus is going to provide salvation. So he's going to execute this justice, and then part of the plan, too, is he's going to provide salvation. So our passage says, if you look back at it, in those days, Judas will be saved. Judah will be saved. There is the salvation. Jerusalem will dwell securely. So real, real quick, I want to talk about the salvation uh, from our sins that Jesus provided in the first advent. And I want to read to you a well-known uh, Christmas passage about how Jesus was going to provide salvation from sins, this first execution of the salvation. So if I think about Jesus' day, most people have been longing and, and expecting this Messiah to come to be a conquering king, to come to conquer the Romans and set up this throne. When will it happen? But we know that that was actually the plan for the second advent. The plan for the first advent was even more profound when we read through Scripture. Remember, um, the angel also came, not only came to Mary, but also came to Joseph. Talked about the baby to be born. And remember what he said. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And then this is where I like it here as it relates to our salvation topic. For he will save his people from what? Their sins. So you notice in the passage he talks about Joseph, the son of David, right? And then the angel focuses on how Jesus will save his people, not from the Roman oppression, but rather from their, the, the corruption of their own hearts, their sins. And then we know in the second advent, there's going to be a salvation provided as well by Jesus. And this one, I want to read Hebrews 9.28. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is a great cross-reference for us about these two ideas, these two advents, because it talks about both salvations. So the first salvation, Christ has offered to bear the sins of many, to bear the sins, but then we see a second salvation, Christ will appear again, not to deal with sin, because that already has been dealt with, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. So, pointing to a future fulfillment of the ideas of our text here. So the second advent is about us eagerly awaiting the Savior who's going to conquer all of his enemies and bring peace to the land and peace to Jerusalem. Right? Our passage says, Jerusalem will dwell securely. And it's just an amazing plan that, we, that, that God has for the world. And so we wait in eager expectation right, for this to happen. So this righteous branch is going to execute this justice, provide this salvation, and also part of God's plan that we're hoping is, is a, a granting of righteousness. This idea that, that Jesus is going to come and, and grant righteousness. So the end of our passage, the last phrase here says, and this is the name by which it will be called 
The Lord is our righteousness. So I noticed in this passage that the, the, the key word, I think, is righteous. Did you see that? It's used three times in three verses. So the Messiah is called righteous as a part of his name, the righteous branch. He's going to execute righteousness in the land, and then he will give Jerusalem his name. The Lord is our righteousness. So we have a righteous Savior going to come in righteousness, execute this righteousness, and set up a city and a land of righteousness, a reign of righteousness. So you think about the first advent. Jesus grants righteousness because of his sacrifice on the cross. Romans 5.19, by the one man's, Jesus, obedience, the cross, the many will be made righteous. So Jesus obeyed God's plan unto death, then was resurrected. So all who trust in him might be, the passage says, made righteous. So this means that Jesus took on our sin. He paid that penalty we talked about before, and and he came to give us his righteousness. So this is called imputation. Our sin is imputed, or our sin is given to him. His righteousness is imputed. His righteousness is given to us as a gift. This enables us to be justified before a holy God and have peace with him, and we trust in him. So this is just an amazing righteousness we have. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to work for this righteousness. It's a gift of God to those by faith. And then we think about the second advent, this idea of granting righteousness. So this is going to be a God, through Jesus, will give righteousness to the city, to the land, to the world. Jeremiah 23 is a really good uh, cross-reference for our passage. It talks about this righteous branch. And in this passage, the Messiah, or Jesus, is, has the name, the Lord is our righteousness. So it is his name, Um, And then the city is also given this name. The Lord is our righteousness. So the city is given the name of the Savior. And he is our righteousness. It's a gift from him to us. It's a gift of righteousness to the city and to the land. So Jesus is going to accomplish righteousness on behalf of his people both in the first and second advents. And he's going to give this righteousness to all who believe. And then he's going to lead them forever over a city and over a land in a reign of righteousness. So, you know, what amazing, glorious future um, that we have to look forward to. We hope in this amazing plan of God for the world. And so here's my summary of our hope in this plan. I got three quick phrases. Jesus came to execute justice with God. He will come again to execute justice on earth. Jesus came to provide salvation from sin. He will come again to provide salvation from enemies. 
Jesus came to grant us righteousness. He will come again to reign in righteousness. So we think about our lives again. As we've been saying, we hope in God's plan. So another question, whose plan do we hope in? And really in our day-to-day life, do you hope in your plan for your life? Sometimes I do. Do you ultimately hope in the American dream or having a stress-free retirement or a stress-free life or a happy family, uh, securing that perfect job or a paycheck? All of these are good things, but is it, this, are these things where our ultimate hope is in? Or do we hope in this righteous branch who has this amazing plan for us? Do we hope in God's will for our lives? You know, only his plan will fill us with this sense of deep joy and hope. And speaking of plans, now we're starting to think about Christmas already. Thanksgiving is over, over, Christmas is here, and this is a season of many, many plans, making plans, busy time of year, right? Many preparations to be done, and I'm already going to stress you out, but we have lots on the calendar, uh, work events, social events, plans to travel, see family. We're going to exchange gifts. This takes some planning. Buy gifts, exchange them, um, decorate, cook, put up those lights, put up those trees, decorate the tree. It's just a busy time of year. Ah, we know that Christmas is about Jesus, but it's so easy to get so busy. That's why I love uh, focusing on Advent, because it, it it forces us to slow down and think about getting our priorities straight during this time. So Advent enables us to pr- prepare him room, prepare him room in our hearts. And so there's many things that, that you or your family can do to do that, prepare him room in your hearts this Advent season. And I just searched for resources on the internet. I just searched for Advent resources, and they were everywhere. There's kind of like this resurgence of Advent resources. So Advent starts today, so it's not too late (laughs) to focus on it. Um, Grab a devotional book. There's a lot of good devotional books on Advent. You can even download free uh, devotional guides on the internet. Think about your family. Think about you and your friends. Uh, Think about you as a couple if you're married. How are you going to take some time to uh, just intentionally focus on Christ this season? Um, Sarah and I like to read together every day, um, each day leading up to Advent, from an Advent devotional. Each day, usually we do it uh, during breakfast, one we did last year is, is by Paul Tripp. It's called Come, Let Us Adore Him, a great devotional. This year we're going to do John, John Piper's Good News of Great Joy. But there's other good devotionals. Pick one and go through it. Um, we also like to listen to Christmas music in the morning as we get ready just to kind of put, put our hearts in the right place. We like Shane and Shane Worship Initiative Christmas. We also like Andrew Peterson. He's got an album called Behold the Lamb of God. It tells the story of Christmas. It's just great. 
We also like to read uh, do a Christmas scroll together. So this scroll is just uh, straight from the Bible, all Scripture, and it has passages related to prophecies and how those were fulfilled in Christ. And so this was designed by Sarah's family um, to just share the word of the Lord during Christmas. So you can use this with your family. But you can also uh, hand it out, do an outreach with your family or friends. And uh, you just say, here's some words of scripture about, about Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas. And a lot of people take them gladly as like, like a gift. Yeah, scroll. So you can do an outreach. And so just because you've been a great audience this morning, <laughs> we have one scroll for you, for each of you, um, to, um, to take with you after the service. So you get a scroll, you get a scroll, you get a scroll. Everybody gets a scroll. But just do something intentionally, right? Just thinking about how we're going to do that this Advent uh, season. And if you'd like to do an outreach, you can take some extra ones. We have the glossy pages. Make your own scroll. Take a bunch out there at the table with the communion stuff. And you can, and you can just spread the good news of, of Scripture with others. So there's just some ideas. So I guess my one... Um, thing that I want to encourage you is to think about hope, how it relates in your life this week. What are you praying for? What are you expecting in? And remember, our hope is in this person and this amazing plan. And then spread the love of Christ somehow as you get ready for Advent. So in closing, we have this righteous branch that has come, Jesus, the branch of hope. He is the person that fulfills the plan and the purposes and the promises of God. He executes justice, provides this salvation, grants righteousness. So in this Advent season, let's put our hope in Jesus, this righteous branch. So let's pray together. Jesus, we worship you this morning. We've sung these amazing songs of hope and expectation. We've studied your word about how you're the branch of, of hope. Um, we're amazed at this amazing plan that you have, how you've come to conquer our sins, to give us peace with you, and you're going to come again which, and, and reign and conquer as king, which gives us great hope and great purpose for our lives. And we also pray for our hearts this uh, Advent season and this idea of hope. Help us to hope in you no matter what. We pray for things. We hope in things. We have these um, desires for we want you to work in certain ways in our lives. But ultimately, we know that our hope is in you. Your word is secure. You're a great um, promise-fulfilling God. And we praise you. We hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.